Well, in the next few minutes, and we're only going to take a, uh, a glance at this tonight, and I think we're going to dive into this a little bit more as we go through the solas. We're going to turn our attention to the principle called sola scriptura. If you'll remember a few weeks ago, we kicked off this series on the Reformation history because this is the 500th year of Martin Luther nailing his theses in 1517 of of um, wanting to reform the church to the door and the castle church at Wittenberg. There are five solas that they organized their thoughts around. We introduced those last time, but at the first and foremost of these solas, which is the Latin word for what? Alone, only, is sola or alone scriptura. Scripture alone. It's a Latin phrase that just simply means Scripture or the Bible alone. It's one of the key tenets of the Reformers and the Reformation in the, out of the 16th century. This was their battle cry, but it's very important as we're going through these solas to remember that the solas and the Reformation itself was anchored in a demonstrative rebellion against biblical error that was happening in the Roman Catholic Church. And I have to tell you as we begin this series in more earnest that uh, I don't want anyone to think that uh, I or other uh, reformers or um, Protestants or Protestant preachers today have it out for Roman Catholics. I certainly don't. But I certainly have issues with Roman Catholicism as it stands. And I think you'll understand that more and more as we go through this series. What Roman Catholicism as a religious system does is it adds human wisdom to divine revelation creating nothing other than a satanic confusion. Sola Scriptura was at the heart of the Reformation. It was at the heart of, of Martin Luther's um, theses. He was calling the church back to, he was trying to reform Catholicism at the time and calling the church back to read, understand, apply, and submit to the Bible. Ultimately, the question was whether Scripture was the ultimate and final authority or was Scripture and Roman Catholic tradition, the magisterium, councils, the fathers, and ultimately the popes. Now, in order to kind of set our minds on Sola Scriptura, we have to revisit a scene that I know so many of you are familiar with. It is that scene in... Uh, I love talking to kids about this. If you want to have a great uh, uh, devotional with your kids about the sufficiency and authority of Scripture. Talk about the diet of worms. The diet of worms. So diet has nothing to do with eating. It was an assembly and it was at worms. Worms, as we would say it in, in English. Luther was called to give an account. Now this was no small assembly or diet. He was called to give an account for his writings. Now here's what you need to know about Martin Luther. And if you'll read uh, 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 any biography of him, you'll see he was a blistering critic. He could write like no one else could. And he could use um, 
uh, descriptive language not like no one else could. But this was different. Emperor Charles V called this diet, this assembly, the Imperial Diet of Worms in January of 1521 on the 23rd. And it was to try him for treason. Treason and heresy, which actually went hand in glove. Because it was a, a church state in Rome's mind, to be guilty of heresy was to be guilty of treason. One and the same. Luther was called and he was given a table with stacks of all of his tracts and his diatribes and his books. They were laid before him, opened and read before the council. The specific parts where he criticized the popes and the church councils and the magisterium were specifically highlighted. And he was told that he had to recant or repent. That he had to turn his back on what he had said and re-believe and re-teach, reaffirm what the Roman Catholic system had been teaching for centuries. He was summoned to renounce his position and reaffirm Roman Catholic theology. Well, he appeared before the assembly on um, April 16th and uh, Johann Eck, who's an assistant of, Arch, of the archbishop, uh, began to try him. And when you read the transcripts of him, it was a mocking, deliberate attempt to embarrass Martin Luther. And it was all against one. Finally, he was given one last chance to renounce and recant or face, in quotation mark, punishment, which would have in all likelihood been execution, probably burning at stake. Luther goes and he spends a sleepless night trying to summon his courage and summon his, his convictions. And he comes back he stands before the council, before the diet, and is asked one final time, will you recant and renounce the beliefs that are registered and fully vetted by the public in what you've said in these writings? After a long silence, Luther began to speak, and it climaxed into these final sentences that I will share with you that are very familiar almost everyone Luther said to the people who held his very life in their hands unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone since it is well known they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures. The scriptures that I've quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against 
conscience. May God help me. Amen. Now, some historians, some of you who love history, are wondering, where was the line where he said, here I stand? Most historians think that was a later edition because these were the earliest transcripts. But nonetheless, that's where he stood. The real issue of sola scriptura comes to the forefront in this issue, in, the, in, in, this, in this quote, rather. Sola scriptura is not, we have to be careful, it doesn't mean I believe in the Bible alone for everything. You don't believe in the Bible necessarily for trigonometry or for uh, engineering or for physics. Uh, you don't study the Bible to, to learn uh, Chinese it's not the authority on everything that can be known. So we have to be careful that we understand what we mean by Scripture alone. What we mean by Scripture alone is that when it comes to God and salvation, faith and practice, it is two words. Scripture, uh, Sola Scriptura comes down to two words. Sufficient in what it says and authoritative in what it says. Very important words, sufficient and authoritative. Authoritative in that it is the final word. There is no other council, pope, pastor, preacher, blog, book, nothing that transcends or supersedes the Bible. Nothing, nothing. Only Scripture alone gives authority on matters of faith and practice. And it's sufficient. You don't need to look anywhere else. The reason that the, the, the idea of sola scriptura flowed out of Luther and the reformers is because they were battling the Roman Catholic Church over one word, one significant word. The impasse that severed Protestantism from the Roman Catholic Church, that theological laceration that happened from which there was never any recovery, nor should there have been, was made by a single word. It was the word the reformers hated most and fought most. It's a conjunction. And it's the word and. What made and makes, I should say now, Roman Catholicism so frightening is it believes all that you and I would say we believe about Scripture for the most part. And the Pope. And councils. And the magisterium. And the fathers. And that makes it a really difficult thing to, to, to argue, to define. But that's exactly what the reformers were coming out of. They, they fought over the word and. That was the negative part. So they substituted the word and for the word sola, the word alone. No, it's not scripture and the Pope and the council. It's scripture alone. Luther and the reformers believed that the earlier church fathers weren't all wrong. Some of them were very good expositors. Some of the councils did very fine exegetical work. There were church leaders in the Roman Catholic uh, Church at the time who were 
who are very biblical in their approach to understanding theology. The problem was the addition of other elements that would slide in to provide sufficiency. In other words, you don't have enough if you don't have this. And and provide authority, meaning if you don't believe the Bible and what I'm saying or and the Pope, then there's a problem. Sola Scriptura means that only Scripture, because it's God's inspired word, is our inerrant, sufficient, and final authority for the church. It's simple. Actually, we could kind of close in prayer right there. It's a very simple argument. It's far more simple than when we get to sola fide, the, the material principle of the, uh, the Reformation. We're going to have to dive right back into Romans 3 and 4. We'll get into some serious exegetical um, uh, data to, to refresh ourselves with. But take your Bibles for a moment, and I want to go to a couple of passages to show you that the Bible self-attests to its own sufficiency and authority. A psalm that all of you are familiar with, Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is is interesting from a a lot of standpoints, but Psalm 19 talks about God's revelation. And it actually bifurcates, it divides God's revelation into two categories that theologians still use today. These categories of revelation are, do you know them? General revelation, which happens in the creation, and special, good, special revelation that happens in divine, verbal, plenary revelation. I just want to read this for you and and make some comments as we go along. Psalm 19. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Stop right there. God reveals and God speaks. And one of the things he uses as a microphone and a loudspeaker are the heavens. I, uh, I wanted to be an astronaut when I was little. And it all was really pivotal on one thing that my dad did. First of all, I remember him waking me up in the middle of the night to watch the moon landing. And, and uh, they're walking on the moon. I didn't really understand the full, that it was that far away. It, it, but I watched it nonetheless. That was less impressive to me than we were traveling between Chattanooga and Knoxville. And there wasn't a whole lot between Chattanooga and Knoxville in those days. It was, I don't know, fairly late at night, 10 or 11 o'clock, and we were traveling up there, and my dad pulls the car over. This is odd. And he says, uh, uh, Rick, Mark, Mike, Sabrina, my, my siblings, I want you to get out. Our first thought is, what did we do? It had been relatively quiet in the car. I knew I'd done something. I just didn't know what it was. And he took us out. It was, it was kind of a grass area. And he took us down. He said, close your eyes. Close my eyes. He says, I want you to sit down. We sat down. He said, I want you to lay back. We laid back. He said, I want you to lay on your back. We laid on our back. He says, now, open your eyes. And it was the first time I ever remember seeing the stars without what scientists call light pollution. Have you ever been somewhere where you can see without any lights around the stars? I didn't understand what was happening in that moment, but the heavens were singing and praising the glory of God. It was overwhelming. That's exactly where David starts here. The heavens are telling the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring 
the work of his hands day to day pours forth speech night to night reveals knowledge there's no speech there are no words the voice is not heard their line has gone out throughout all the earth their utterances to the end of the world in them he has placed a tent for the sun I just love the language that God just throws stars around it's like we would chess pieces it's a bridegroom coming out of his chamber rejoices as a strong man runs his course it's rising as from one end of the heavens to the others and a circuit to the other end of them and there's nothing hidden from its heat. Just, just a little something about the stars and the sun. That's general revelation. Romans 1 says that God has put in the heart of every man to look into, generation, into general revelation and know that there is a God. But not specifically what God is like or what God has done for salvation. He turns in, chapter, in verse 7 to special revelation, to verbal plenary revelation. God speaking and God recording in written form what he said. Specifically in the Torah, the law of the Lord is perfect, without blemish. Don't miss this. Restoring the soul. We're going to keep reading, but we could stop right there. Every soul in every person is in desperate need of fixing and in restoration. What God has revealed in His book, in His Word, is restoring to the soul. The testimony, another word for, for the, wor the words of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord is sure, it makes wise the simple. It can take you from a spiritual simpleton to a spiritual genius. The precepts of the Lord are right. I love this. Rejoice in the heart. You can always tell someone who is pursuing the Lord and growing because they're excited, their hearts rejoicing over their Bible. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Then he, he just goes off. They're, they're more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Stop right there. He says, God's word is more desirable to me than money, than, than, than currency. I, I don't know any of us who haven't thought, probably at least once this week, maybe today, I wish... I had more money, right? David says, God's word is more desirable me, to me than, than getting any more money to get any more stuff. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. This, this goes to the visceral desires. There was no sugar cane that they harvested. There was no uh, um, stevia or sweet and low or maple syrup. The, the sweetest thing they had was honey. It was a very precious commodity. He says it's more desirable than that. Think of your favorite dish. David's saying, I'd rather sit down with my Bible than eat my favorite dish. By them, the precepts of the Lord, your servant is warned. 
In keeping them, there is great reward. If you want to teach your kids something that will change their life, that's a great verse. In keeping God's word, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Equip me of hidden faults. The context here is you're able to do that with the insights of God's word. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless. I will be acquitted of great transgression. The idea here is I do stuff wrong all the time. And the more I see your law, the more I know exactly what I'm doing that's wrong. It identifies sin for me so that I can identify it and repent of it. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David said, your word is sufficient to restore the soul, which is the greatest need. It's desirable. It's insightful. Now turn over to 2 Timothy for a moment. And we could spend the rest of the night thumbing through passages, but I just want to highlight these two. 2 Timothy. I may go to one more after this, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 3. We typically dive into uh, verse um, 16 without diving into verse 14. Paul's talking to Timothy. He says, you, however, and the however there is in uh, uh, contrast to the godless men and the end of the age and evil that's happening in the world. You, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. By the way, that was his mother and grandmother. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, the scripture, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 15 really demands an hour exposition. Let me tell you what he's saying there. Don't miss it. The scriptures that Timothy had grown up with was not the, the, the bound Old and New Testament that you and I have. What scriptures was Paul referencing here that Timothy was raised upon? The Older Testament. And look what it says there, so perfectly worded, to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. I think that verse 15 of 2 Timothy 3 is probably the best place in the entire New Testament that points to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah according to the Old Testament. Paul says, if you get the Old Testament right, you land with the Messiah, Jesus, the one from Nazareth. All Scripture. Now, I think he means the Old Testament and also putting his arms around the new as well is inspired by God, profitable for... Now, you just got to watch this. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training and righteousness so that the man of God will be adequate, sufficiently equipped for every good work. Now, look up here a second. You got to see this circle. The Word of God, first of all, is profitable for teaching. It teaches you what's right and wrong, what God expects. For reproof, it challenges us when we err from what's right and wrong. From what's right and we do what's wrong. For correction, it actually provides a way to correct what we've done wrong according to the standard. And then training in righteousness so we don't do it again. A sufficiency. 
absolute perfect sufficiency. Can I just go to one more? Just one more. Deuteronomy 17. If you're smart, and I know you are, and if you know your Bibles and have confidence that you do, and you love Deuteronomy, which I hope is your heart, then you will remember that Deuteronomy 17 is a pretty interesting section of Scripture. Because in uh, um, beginning of verse 14, I, I wish we had a long time for this. Verse 14, Deuteronomy 17 Moses says, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you and possess it to live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. And then he gives the qualifications for a king. Do you notice where this is said? How long would it be before Israel had a king? Before Saul would come onto the scene? A long, long time. Who was supposed to be Israel's king? God. But his provision, his kind, gracious provision is when you get into the land and then when you want a king, let me just tell you what he's supposed to be like. This, if you want us to have a great study on leadership, fathers with sons, this is a great passage. It gives a whole list of things, but look down in verse, um, look at verse 18. Now it shall come when he sits on the throne of his kingdom. He shall write for himself a copy of this law that would have been Genesis through Deuteronomy on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. Verse 20 says it will cause him to be humble and a gracious leader. Here's the scene. The king comes to the throne. The Levitical priest would come in and give him, present him the scrolls that contain Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. I mean, just pinch that much in your Bible. Just look at that. And the king, in their presence, was to take the time. Imagine how long this would take to write his own copy of the entire Pentateuch. Now, if you're like me, you'd say, why? Well, the text tells us. So he would know what's in the law. But you know what else? He could never say, I didn't know God said that. I didn't understand God expected that. Where did that come from? Leadership in Israel, leadership in the home, leadership in the church should be governed by those who believe in sola scriptura, that the authority and sufficiency of God's revelation is contained in the book that he wrote. And listen, God invented language, right? Do you think he has a speech impediment? You think he's clear? 
if there's a problem in understanding what is said, what he said, the problem is not in him saying it, it's in our sinful filters receiving it. Now, what I want to do very quickly, I'm going to go really fast, is I want to give you some accompaniments that God has given us to understand his word so that we can have a conviction of sola scriptura. Accompaniments. You know what accompaniment is? If someone's singing, if I was singing, which I'm not, and Aaron was playing with me, he's accompanying me because it helps the understanding and the interpretation of the song. God has given some accompaniments to help us to come to the conclusion of sola scriptura. Let me just give you a few. First of all, the accompaniment of saving faith. The accompaniment of saving faith. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 says that the, the things of God are spiritually appraised. They are given to those who have saving faith. It's not surprising that an unbelieving world doesn't believe in sola scriptura. Not surprising at all. Saving faith is an accompaniment to the conviction that God's word alone is sufficient and has authority. Another one, number two. Spiritual illumination. Spiritual illumination. He's given us the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible to give us understanding, to interpret the Bible, and then to properly apply the Bible. So to stand on Scripture alone is to also take advantage of the accompaniment of the Spirit of God in illumining our minds. Third, <laughs> historical, grammatical, Hermeneutics. I know it's a big long phrase, but it's important. Historical, and if you want to be Latin, you could say historico. Historical, grammatical, hermeneutics. Hermeneutics are principles of interpretation. And what that means is God intends for his word to be interpreted in the normative sense that anyone would interpret. And there's, here's the principle. Here are the principles that you interpret God's word when the historical, grammatical method. Literally, historically, grammatically and contextually. Literal, historical, grammatical, contextual. Literal, God said what he meant, meant what he said. Literal and uh, uh, literal includes figurative language. It means the regular understanding. I know that suns don't rise and set, that the earth rotates, but the Bible says that the sun rises and sets. We understand that there's a figure of speech being used there. He's given us rules and principles of interpretation. In other words, Number four, we've already read it once, thoughtful meditation. Just read Psalm 1. On his law he meditates day and night. Have you ever um, thought about a passage and, and it meant more to you the more you thought about it and the more you thought about it and then you hear a sermon on it and then you read a book about it? The more we meditate, the more we are able to squeeze the juice out of that orange Thoughtful meditation. Number five, is that where we are? Hard work. That's an accompaniment to sola scriptura, hard work. Study to show yourself approved unto God. That's the one verse, right? 2 Timothy 2, 15. Study to show yourself approved unto God as a workman who will not need to be ashamed handling accurately the word of God. It takes hard work. Remember this morning we were looking at what uh, Peter said about Paul? He, he says things about the end times that are hard to understand. He didn't say impossible. It takes hard work. 
Sometimes you got to roll up your sleeves. Sometimes you got to get out of commentary. Sometimes you have to sit down with a theologian or a pastor and work hard to get at it. Number six, the accompaniment of... Now, this is an interesting phrase you might not be aware of, but you'll know it when I explain it. Analogy of the faith. The accompaniment of the analogy of the faith. That's a big phrase that hermeneuticians, these uh, uh, scholars on biblical uh, interpretation use to simply say this. You compare Scripture with Scripture. There's an analogy. Scripture will never contradict Scripture and Scripture will always explain Scripture so that we can stand on Scripture alone. So the accompaniment we have to compare Scripture with Scripture. Number seven. The accompaniment of biblical teaching. The church is given pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. In other words, part of what my calling, my job is, is to be set aside to be able to study so that I can help bring the clarity to the scripture that is inherent in the Bible that we need to get our sinful filters uh, cleared up on so that we can see it. So the intention of God from Moses all the way through the New Testament was to have teachers of the word who could give us insights, who we could set aside to study and to, to bring greater clarity on. Those are accompaniments that if we apply, we can stand on Scripture alone. Now, there's a lot of attacks on the authority of Scripture. I think I'll do this uh, next time. Um, I will do that next time. But here's what I want to get to. Is the threats in your life against sola scriptura that you might not expect. There are some threats that you need to be aware of in your life to your belief in sola scriptura that it alone has authority and sufficiency in your life that you've got to be careful of. I'm going to give you four of them, okay? Here's the first threat to be aware of. Not always bad, but you need to be aware. Number one, books. Even good ones. They are not as authoritative as the living, written Word of God. I have thousands of books. I I love books. I I read books every day. But we have to remember that God wrote one. with 66 inside. He wrote one book. And I I, want to, if I can just confess to you, there have been seasons in my life when I found myself reading books about the Bible more than reading Bible itself just be careful this is not don't read books this is not that sermon there's no sermon that I would have for that we have to make sure though that we if we believe in sola scriptura that we're actually reading scriptura and that everything else is an accompaniment and a help and an aid and submissive to the Word of God, even commentaries, there's only one book. Prioritize God's Word above every other book. Please read books. We push books all the time that will help you understand. 
The book should help you understand God's word better. It's not the Bible and a good book, right? Number two, threats to sola scriptura in our life. Um, blogs and the internet. Uh, I'm just amazed at people who think if it's on the internet, it must be must be true. That 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 goes for everything. Um, uh, I read blogs. I use the internet every day. I, I, we're not throwing that out of our, our experience. But we have to remember that all things come under the authority and the sufficiency of the Bible. So everything is checked according to that. Not vice versa. Number three... Denominations and creeds. Um, I'm not anti-denominational. I grew up, just like you did, Dennis, I grew up as a Southern Baptist. So thankful for the training I had in my Southern Baptist churches that I was a part of. Very grateful, very, very thankful to the Lord. But the denominations don't have authority that the Bible has. Some denominations, certainly not the Southern Baptist, but some denominations are now saying, we know the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin, but it's old and antiquated, so we believe it's okay and acceptable not only to participate in, but to have clergy be homosexual as well. I don't think I need to tell you that, but denominations don't carry biblical authority. And number four. I'm going to say this carefully. Pastors, especially those that aren't yours. I have no authority in our church above what God said. The only authority I have at Mission Road Bible Church is between these two covers. That's it. I, I, I can't tell you which house to buy, which job to take. I can give you some wisdom. I can't tell you uh, which, uh, what meal to eat. But I can tell you that adultery is wrong. I can tell you that stealing is wrong. I can tell you that, you fill in the blank, right? If it's in here, I can tell you with authority. That's why Paul told Titus, prescribe and teach these things, these things that are contained in Scripture. Trust your pastors and leaders the but check every person who teaches by Scripture. Please don't ever have this mindset that the pastor, whether it's Rick or anybody else or a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, it's, it's God and the pastor and the Bible and then you. The, the, right, the, the right imagery is that we're all sitting underneath the same book. The, this, this is the authority. This is where we all bend the knee. Having said that, the, the church, according to 2 Timothy, is the first Timothy, is the pillar and support of the truth. And I, I want to increasingly, I'm growing increasingly concerned and want to more and more encourage you, learn from other men, learn from other pastors, enjoy uh, uh, blog posts and sermons that you can have available online. That's, that's great, but 
be committed to the leadership at your local church more than that. You know why? This is not self-serving. This is just being biblical. We're, we're your shepherds. We, we know you. We care about you. I have an opportunity to travel around now and again to preach and teach. and I enjoy that to a certain extent, but there's nowhere I would rather be on a Sunday than here. Because I'm, even right now, I'm looking at faces. Know your names, know your kids, know where you live, been in your home, you've been in mine. We know each other. That's what ministry is supposed to be. Not just going and hearing a great... You can find better preachers really easy. Really, I can give you better preachers. Come tonight, I'll give you a, a, a long list of people who can preach way better than anybody at this church. But no one will love you and cares for you more than the elders and pastors who are here. So just let us lead you by shepherding and applying sola scriptura in our context. You have an invitation to now and always come to any leader in our church and say, does the Bible connect with what you're saying? Is this, is this biblical? Give us the opportunity to, to sit down with an open Bible and talk about these things. Sola Scriptura was what launched the Reformation. And that's great. It's a conviction. But how does it work out in our lives and how does it work out in our church? We'll be looking at that more and more. Actually, the, uh, the rest, the other four solas are just applications of Sola Scriptura in some dimension.